That's exciting, Anthony. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, hi, uh, Tatiana is here. I just want also to praise the name of the Lord, but uh, His provision for my brother's family, especially, and for rest who came here from Ukraine. Um, we've been praying for a big family where they're going to live, and through the church members and uh, volunteers, they have a place to stay wherever they as long as they can to um, start on their own feet. So I thank you for praying and helping with that. Appreciate it. Thanks for that update, Tatiana. And for the rest of you, you know that Tatiana, she has a lot of family members um, who have been moving to Rapid as refugees, and we're trying to do our best um, to provide what we can um, to help them out there. Um, on the app, for those of you who have downloaded the app to stay connected to what we're doing here, we do have a group on there called Rapid for Refugees that we're using to kind of communicate some of the needs, some of the different things that their family is needing, some of the different um, projects that we need done and so if you are willing to help continue to kind of stay updated with those things because we need all the help that we can get as these people try to start over here in Rapid. Yeah, Kyle. Um, so I've been doing a Bible study with a guy named Shannon back at my home church um, and his son Austin just had their second child last Thursday. So um, praise for that and prayers that you know everything goes well for them for the next foreseeable future. Awesome. That's exciting. Your grandchild then? Yep. Um, I'm Logan. A uh, couple things today. First off, prayers for camp. Specifically, we are still looking for an elementary director. It's getting to the point where if we don't find one in the next few weeks, we're going to have to cancel elementary camp. So definitely be in prayers for that as we don't want to have to do that. Um, on a home note, um, Liara has been dealing with a double ear infection over the last three weeks to a month. Um, she's been on one antibiotic, then another antibiotic, and this week we had to take her to the doctor three different days to get shots in each leg, um, which she was very excited about by the third day being in the same room. Um, so now we're looking at referrals for ENTs for tubes, um, so just all of that, and then a bit of a praise in the middle of the week, kind of for me, in the middle of all this happening, one of my customers actually brought in a letter for me that meant quite a bit to me, and with that, a gift card to their store, um, which just kind of helped. It, made, it, it, it was nice. Yeah, just a drop of encouragement, a drop of love in the middle of all the chaos. That's really encouraging, but man, you know, <laughs> for Camp Alawasa. So, uh, a praise for my summer. I got an internship in Sundance, Wyoming, and now a prayer for housing because anyone who's familiar with Sundance knows there's not a whole lot of housing. <laughs> People live there. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Not too far away, Tim. That's exciting that you'll be in Sundance there. Hi, um, this is Mary. I just wanted to um, ask you guys to pray for Carrie's Aunt Carolyn. She just lost her um, boyfriend. Um, he's had a lot of health issues and he just passed away last evening. And then for myself, I have a praise. This may sound like a silly praise, but to me it's huge. Uh, Carrie and I this last week went for a walk over by Canyon Lake Park at the small trail off Chapel Valley and I made it all the way around without COVID. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Health is improving. That's really exciting, Mary. That's a huge phrase. Health has been improving. Hi, I'm Taylor. Um, I have friends in Georgia who had a baby like two weeks ago, maybe, maybe three. Um, his name is Malachi, and he was full term but had complications right after birth. So he's had some brain damage, and his kidneys are not doing well. So he's been in the NICU for a while, um, and he just needs a lot of prayer, and they're wanting to do missions, so if he has special needs, that might make that kind of difficult. Um, so just praise, prayers for the Malachi. Yeah. Um, and a praise report slash prayer, Luke got an email this week uh, from the company that he interviewed with twice that we kind of been ghosted from <laughs> the past two months. Um, and they told us that they're in a hiring freeze, but they still want to move forward with them. So that's really exciting. That's in Germany. Um, so right now we're just kind of in a waiting phase, but we are feeling a lot more peace about waiting. So. That's exciting because I know it was stressful not knowing what was going on because they had kind of gone quiet on it. Because of that. All right, pray for the job potential. Now you guys sense God was leading you in that direction, just waiting for an open door. Uh, good morning. So, once upon a time, uh, I was a counselor for Halawasa, and I had this uh, a kid in my tent, and he was a pretty good egg. Um, it's been probably 10 years since I've talked to him. But recently, uh, last week, we caught up, and it turns out he's out in Ohio, and he's involved with planting a church in the middle of Ohio. So, it's just, it's it's been really cool to see someone that, you know, basically get to see them grow up and uh, grow up into the Lord's service. Big praise for that. That's awesome, yeah. You know, we just went to the book of 3 John recently, and one of the things John said is, there's nothing better but to see my children like walking in faith. And he was just talking about how encouraging it is to see people that you poured into than following God the same way. So that's really awesome to hear that. There's a good sales pitch for Alan Wasser. <laughs> yeah, it's can be a part of something that's going to change the world in the future. Hi, I'm Allie. I have a couple of requests, actually. Um, I have a mom friend, her daughter, Tylee. It, she's about five or six, I can't remember, but she has been going through some insane medical issues, just kind of out of the blue. Um, she... Uh, started to have hallucinations and um, erratic behavior and just not feeling well. And it turns out that it is, um, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it's Blau or Blue syndrome, which is an autoimmune disease. And so they have been going on a pretty massive journey of just trying to figure out how to uh, just kind of change her lifestyle and how to help her out. And it could also be um, something called PANDAS, which is not very well known. So trying to get with specialists outside of RAPID has been pretty hard. So it's just been a hard journey of figuring out exactly what's mm -hmm. going on with her. And it's huge for a five-year-old to be going through this. So prayers for them. Again, her name is Tylee. And then there's quite a few of us here that know them, but the Myers, Drew and Alyssa, uh, their little boy, Max, he, gosh, I'm not sure how old he is. He's only seven months. Yes, seven months. Um, he has been in the hospital.
hospital for over a month now. It started as, um, I think it was just like a virus, common virus that has turned into something massive for him. And um, just prayers that he will continue to heal. Um, the current thing that they're dealing with is an abscess in his stomach. He had surgery to remove it yesterday, but it turns out that they were only able to remove about one centimeter of, of a three centimeter abscess, and that's creating the most problems right now for them. And it's very scary because if that abscess were to rupture, it could be fatal. And so he's the poor little guy who's dealing with a lot, and so just uh, prayers for them. and. They are surrounded by some incredible people, but I just cannot imagine. What are their names again, the Myers? Drew and Alyssa, and their little boy's name is Max. Hashtag Mighty Max. for me, my car's transmission has finally decided to kick the bucket, and so I either need a new transmission or a new car. Yeah, fun stuff. <laughs> That's not fun, why would you say it's fun? Yeah. yeah. Alright, man, sorry about that Isaac, That's... car issues are a big headache, I know. Um, I'm Chris, and I am the treasurer on the board um, for the church. And with the board, I'm going to come up here. Um, oh, you think you're coming up front? So the board just wanted to catch some people up on some happenings in the church. Um, so, and then just help us in praying diligently. Um, we are finding that certain doors are closing and other doors are opening. Um, there's been an opportunity that has come before us. Um, for a potential building, um, it's it's a it would fit us very well. We would have to grow into it both with people and financially. Um, it would be a very hard stretch for us, right? Now. Um, but it's also the kind of opportunity that we might only see once every five or ten years. Um, and the church that's there now, they are upsizing. They have a new home that they're getting ready to move to. Um, so it's just been crazy to see how. Yeah, very much it feels like a door is opening. Um, so, I would just ask you to join us. Um, we've been praying very hard. Uh, the board, over the last couple of weeks, I would say, has been praying incredibly hard as we ran into some conflicts with the lease. Um, and then also just, what is our long-term direction for a building? Um, or where is our home? Um, and I would say, in us praying very hard for that, God's moved. Um, and he's all of a sudden, phone calls have happened. Um, we've had an answer to that. And so now it's just a matter of kind of feeling this out, um, continuing to pray hard, and seeing where's our next step. So I just ask you to pray with us in that. Um, yeah, and just <laughs> see where we go and see if this is the next step for us. Where, where is it, Chris? Thanks for sure. um, it's over Old Robinsdale area. So like you said, it was like, you know, it felt like all of a sudden God's opening a door, but he's opening a door that's a little more expensive than we wanted it to. 
So be praying about that. Be praying about that. Nothing is decided. It's just we were approached with this opportunity and we're trying to figure it out. Okay. Is this where he's leading? So join us in praying for that. Okay, so a bunch of you shared, which is awesome. I would say now, one of our practices has been gathering together in a few groups and praying over a few of these requests that have been shared. And so I'm going to ask that you would do that today. We do group up um, with about four to six people around you. And instead of assigning some prayer requests, um, I'm going to just let you have the freedom. I want you to just pray for three requests that you remember. Um, you don't have to pray for all three, but in your group, um, would you just make sure that you cover three? Maybe one of you have written them down. I always try to write these down so that we can pray throughout the week, continue to approach God uh, on the behalf of people who have shared today. Um, but would you just group up together with a few people? And we don't have to cover every single one of these. But would you just trust God um, to bring to mind three that you would come to him with? Does sound good? Can you do that? So I'm going to pray to start us off, and then you're dismissed to move and to group up with one another and to bring these things before the Lord. And so thank you. Thank you again for sharing. Thank you, Isaac, for running the mic around. Thank you for continuing to be a people who don't just come here on a Sunday to be entertained, but who are involved and active. I love that, and I want to lean into that right now. And so would you bow your heads with me as we actively approach God. So Father God, we just thank you for being the God who promises to hear us. Um, and we know that we ask <clears throat> so much of, of you, um, but it's truly our hope that you would see just how many requests we bring before you as, as our faith. We know that you are the God who can do these things. You are the God who can supply these things. You are the God who can heal the little ones, who can bring healing to older ones, who can be the God who directs um, to where jobs houses are. You can be the God who gets credit when jobs fall into our lap, um, who gets credit for when young people grow up to expand your kingdom. God, we just give you credit for all of that and we recognize that nothing that we could ask of you right now is beyond your ability, beyond your pocketbook. So God, we just turn to you in prayer now. We ask that your ear would be turned towards us, that you would hear us. And it's in Jesus' name that we approach you. Amen. Feel free to move around. I'm going to give you some time to pray with one another.
trying to help. So, Father God, we just turn now our eyes and our ears back to you. Thank you for being the God who hears us. Now, as we come before your word, we commit to being a people, soft hearts, open ears, and open minds, to hear how it is that you are revealing yourself to us. It's truly, God, it's our desire that we would know you better when we leave this place than we did when we walked in. So, God, we ask that you would speak. Yes, that you would speak in order to change us, make us more like you. So we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'll give you a minute. Go back to your seats. Thanks again, guys. Thank you for moving, um, for gathering around with one another, for praying, continuing to do that as we grow into being a people of prayer. And so now, um, we're going to transition into our teaching time where we are continuing our series now after Easter that we are calling Biblia Obscura, where we are looking at the most obscure parts of the Bible, the most difficult to read passages, books, genres, and we are trying to learn from it. Because we believe that the Bible is God's word, that all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, which is you guys, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We believe that, but we recognize that we are separated by a few thousand years and a few thousand miles from the original people who received this piece of work here. And so learning, growing, hearing God's word is not the easiest thing in the world. And instead of pretending that we just understand it uh, and moving on and not actually learning from it, we want to honestly come before God and, and struggle with these parts that we don't quite understand and struggle with the parts that are obscure. Um, we want to ask God to speak to us, and we want to work hard on these passages of his word. And so that's what we've been doing for the last few months. We've been coming before some of the most difficult parts of the Bible, and we have just been asking God, God, what do you mean? What are you saying to us? Um, what is this all about? What were you thinking when you wrote this? Um, and so we are asking God those questions. Um, we like to ask God questions. I think it's a good thing, not in like a... Uh, um, an irreverent or in a disrespectful way, but in a curious way. That's what we've been doing. We've been asking God questions. Um, but what if God was the one asking us questions? What if God would speak directly to us and ask us, what are you thinking here? What do you say here? And what if God spoke to us in clear precision on what we're doing or what we are thinking or feeling at the moment? Or what if God might even use a person, use their voice, use their life, their actions, to ask questions to us, or to speak to us? Because if you can imagine that sort of thing, God using a person, their voice, their actions, to speak to us, then you are imagining this world of the prophets. And this is essentially what a prophet is. Does. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So before we get into one specific test, 
text, I'm going to invite you to kind of sit in the classroom a bit, and we're going to paint a bit of a picture, we're going to learn some tools, and we're going to apply it to one passage. But today we're going to talk about the prophets. The prophets. So Isaiah is one of the prophets. Um, he's probably the most well-known. Then you know the books in the Bible like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Jonah, to name a few that you're probably familiar with. And these were people, these prophets, who were used by God to voice what God was thinking, feeling, doing, and hoping. This was kind of the role of the prophet. The prophet was to be a voice or to show through their actions what God is thinking, feeling, hoping, and doing. And so the prophets, they start with the book of Isaiah, and then they go into Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then there's a whole bunch of section called the minor prophets. So there are three major prophets, and they're major by length and volume. They're very, very long. And then there are 12 minor prophets. And so the three big ones, it's intentional that there are only three in order to mirror the three patriarchs, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we have 12 minor prophets here kind of to mirror the 12 sons of Jacob, right? The 12 tribes of Israel. And so that's why we have these 15 books in here. There are a lot of other prophets throughout the Old Testament, but we just kind of shove their teachings into books like 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Samuel, and we have this outline here of these 15. And so the prophets make up a big section of the Bible, actually an entire fourth of the Bible, by like page count, word count, can be categorized here by these 15 books of the prophets. And Jeremiah, as you might know, here's your fun Bible trivia fact, that Jeremiah is the longest book in the entire Bible. It is longer than, oh man, I think it's longer than, well, obviously it's longer than every single New Testament book, but after you get to Romans, it's basically the entire New Testament in word count. Jeremiah is a long book. And so you have this collection, these books, written by these prophets, and they were chosen by God to speak his heart, his mind, his voice, his hopes to people. They stood before the people to speak on behalf of God. And the prophets, though, even though they play such a big role and they take up so much of our Bible, we have to recognize that they are kind of difficult to read. Um, they're kind of difficult to read because at times they can be really artsy, really poetic. They can use all these different metaphors that seem really disconnected to us today. Um, and they're also just really repetitive. They'll say the same thing four or five different times, four or five different ways, and we start to wonder, like, okay, I thought I understood it, and now on the fourth metaphor, I'm kind of confused. Um, and at times, I think one of the reasons they're so hard to read is at times... They just seem to only be mad and angry, and it can kind of be hard to read. Um, another reason they're kind of hard to read is that they're not always chronological. They don't always follow the chronological order here. And even Martin Luther, the great theologian, he said this about the prophets. He said that the prophets have an odd way of talking, like people who, instead of proceeding in an orderly manner, ramble off from one thing to the next so that you can't make head or tail of them or see what they are getting at. So that's pretty negative from Luther there. Uh, but he's essentially just saying, hey, they're hard to follow. They're hard to follow. And if a theologian, the professor, says this, then we know, oh, man, we might be in a bit of trouble. But I love Luther's honesty. I love his honesty that he affirms that when you read the prophets, it's not just as simple as coming before it and following this narrative arc. But at times it can kind of feel all over the map. Um, because really, when you're reading the prophets in a book like Isaiah or Jeremiah, you're not just reading, like, a book that had a beginning, like the Gospel of Matthew, and it's going to kind of progress somewhere, there's going to be a narrative arc, and you're going to get to an ending. Instead, what you have is kind of like a collection of teachings or poems or songs or actions that are all kind of jammed together. 
Um, and so it's like if you were to take every sermon I've ever preached, you know, if you were to take like 40 sermons from like my like eight or nine years in ministry, and you have this huge collection of all the really good ones, as you look at those two sermons there, you have to kind of look for what are like the key things that would tell you when was this happening, what was happening, what are the things that are giving us insight into what was going on at that time. And so the prophets are kind of like that. It's this big collection kind of smooshed together, almost like a devotional of all these teachings. And so it's a devotional, it's teachings, it's a conglomeration, a compilation here of all these poems about like judgment and before and after exile and all these different things. And we're tempted, I think because of the difficulty, to oftentimes just skip them, to kind of skip the prophets altogether because we start reading them and it's not quite as easy to follow as like a gospel or like Paul's clear teaching in his letters. But I think the reason that we often skip them um, is because we usually have some misconceptions about the prophets, I think. Misconceptions abound about the role of the, of the prophets. Um, I hate picking on people, but I feel like picking on people who are really, really famous is fine. Um, but it was in 2002 when Rick Warren wrote the book, A Purpose Driven Life. And hate the bashing, it's a fine book. I'm not saying it's all bad, but it's one of the best-selling Christian books of all time. And in it, Rick Warren talked about how Bible prophecy and the books of the prophets, they're just too divisive, they're too hard to understand, um, and too many people use them to try to figure out like who's going to be the Antichrist and which river is drying up and all these different things. And so he suggested you just avoid them altogether. Um, and I would say that probably the worst approach that you could have when it comes to any part of the Bible is apathy or just quit because it's difficult. Because if, uh, if you're not willing to be a little uncomfortable when reading God's Word, then you're going to have a hard time probably following Him in life. Um, but there are a lot of misconceptions about what the prophets are. And a lot of people think that one of the things they do is they're just fortune tellers. They're just foretelling the future. That this is what these books are, and the only people that read them are the people who are, you know, building bunkers and stocking up food and chunk and shells. And so for us, sane people, we probably don't have to read them. Uh, but the reality is that most of the prophets are not just about fortune-telling or telling the far-off future. Um, there is an aspect that is about that, but most scholars would put that between somewhere between 27 and 31 percent. And then there's a big debate on how much is already fulfilled. There's a big debate. Some would say that like 1 percent is already fulfilled, and I'm like, oh, I think it's probably more than that. Some would say 99.9 is already fulfilled, but most of the people that I respect say somewhere between 90 and 98 percent of what future things would take place that the prophets told about did already take place at this point in 2023. And so this is one of the aspects that make reading the prophets so difficult, is that we can't just look at it to figure out, okay, well, what's going on in our life? We're kind of just looking back at the history. And we really have to appreciate the historical context, what happened in the nation of Israel there, to really understand a lot of those future prophecies there. But that's one of the things that people always think that's what they're all about. And really, it's just maybe about a third that does talk about the future. Another thing that most people think maybe the, the books of the prophets are all about is it's all about social reform, right? And we use the word prophet to kind of compare it to modern day people who are really active in social change, like referring to Martin Luther King Jr. or referring to people who are really pushing for social change or calling out the status quo. Um, and a bit of this is true, because as you read through the prophets, you'll see that the prophet really was kind of an intermediary uh, between God and man, 
and he was speaking for God. He was speaking for God, almost as like a prosecuting attorney to the people. Hey, you were doing this wrong. You were doing this wrong. This is what is hurting you. And so there's quite a bit of social commentary in the prophets, quite a bit of the things that make God angry, sad, upset. And that is a big aspect to what the prophets do. Um, it was the the author Abraham Joshua Heschel, whose book on the prophets is uh, public domain. You can find it for free online. If you just search Abraham Joshua Heschel PDF, you can find it there. Um, but he said this. He said the prophet was an individual who said no to society, condemning its habits and assumptions, its complacency, waywardness, and syncretism, or its blending of other religions, of other practices, with worship of God. And his fundamental objective was to reconcile mankind. And so he emphasizes that, okay, even though it might be overplayed, there is quite a bit of social reform that is spoken about in the prophets. And then there's another big chunk. Some people say, well, everything in the prophets is just pointing to Jesus. It's just pointing to him. And while I do think the entire Bible is one unified story pointing to Jesus, um, not everything is. Some of it is talking about Israel in their immediate context. And most would put between maybe 21 to 28% talking about Jesus, or being evangelistic, being messianic, um, because one of the roles of the prophets was just like the role of an evangelist today, where God or any king in that day would have a message to be shared to the people, and there was no social media, there was no news, there was no email that they could send out to get that word out that the king wanted to communicate to the people, and so you would send an evangelist, you would send a herald, and essentially that's what the prophet was doing for God, is God had this message to give to the people, and the prophet was going to take this and give it to them. And so those, you know, are kind of the stereotypes, but some of it is true. There's a big aspect of that that is true, that this is some of the work that the prophets were doing. But we have to recognize, okay, it's not just this, it's not this, just this, it's a little more complicated. And one of the ways that, that the prophets were called to express this message, that they were to talk about the future, that they were to herald the message of Jesus, or that they were to call up the culture, was through, let's call them creative means, through their different actions, what are often called sign acts. So this is probably what the prophets have been most famous for, are doing all of these crazy things to grab people's attention and to get their message across. And so you've probably heard of many of these. Um, there's obviously Isaiah, who for three years walked around and got a perfectly even tan, um, and God had told him to do that because that was what was going to happen to the people, that they were going to be invaded and dragged away like that. So Isaiah had to become that message and live it out. Or we're familiar with Ezekiel. Ezekiel had to do a lot of crazy actions to preach God's message. Um, he had to lie on his side for 390 days, and then he was supposed to flip over and lay there for another 40 days. Um, he very famously was told by God to cook with his own excrement. And then he says, God, that's way too extreme. Please, I don't want to do that. God says, okay, fine, you can use cow pies instead. Um, really uh, made it easy on him there. Or then Ezekiel also, he was told to like throw his hair up in the air, chop it with a sword um, to warn the people about what was going to happen. Jeremiah, he famously walked 300 miles in one direction and buried a pair of underwear in a riverbank, left it there, let it rot, and then dug it up, put it on, and walked 300 miles back to town, and then walked around town in these dirty underwear. And he was told to do this to show the people that you're just as useless as these dirty underwear. It's like a powerful action. Or then Hosea, very famously, um, one of the most beautiful, but one of the most tragic love stories in the entire Bible. 
Hosea chapter 1, God says, Hosea, you are going to become this message. You are going to act this out through your life. And in Hosea chapter 1, God said to this prophet, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, he said to him, go, marry a promiscuous woman, and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So God told Hosea, I want you to live this life as a picture of what I am going through with you guys. It's what God told Hosea. That just like I am being left, abandoned, cheated on, I want you guys to see what you've done to me. Hosea was called to live this life literally in order to preach that message. That's what he did. That's what happened. And so you have these crazy sign acts that the prophets are doing to communicate what God is thinking, what he's feeling, what he's doing, what he's hoping. So they would preach these messages, they would act out these messages, and they were communicating on behalf of God. And so as you are reading through the prophets, um, while it might be a little more difficult to determine what about this is about the future, what about this is about Jesus, one of the easiest little filters that we can look at the prophets through is just seeing that they were always doing three things. Um, and so if I was into props, I would have three buckets here, uh, but instead I'll give you three headings on a PowerPoint, is that the prophets' messages, you can always kind of run them through three things. They were always doing one of these three. And so as you're reading and you might be a little confused, you can kind of ask the question, well, is this accusation, is this warning, or is this hope? Because most all of what the prophets are writing are going to be broken down into one of those three things. These are kind of the three things that they're always doing. Is one, they're accusing Israel, often of covenant failure, that they made this commitment to God, they entered into this relationship with God, and God told Abraham and he told the people that you're going to enter this covenant with me because I have a plan to bless the nations, I have a plan to bless the world through you. We are in this relationship for a purpose. And then they were not keeping that. They were breaking the covenant. And so this is where the anger comes in. Because the accusation is God saying, hey, you haven't kept up your part of the covenant. Hey, you are breaking this deal that I've made for you. Hey, these plans that we made together, why are you leaving them in the dust? And so one of the main points of the prophets is to accuse the people of this, to accuse them of their sin, accuse them of breaking this covenant with God. And because of that accusation, what the prophet is also to do is to warn the people, um, to warn them that if you don't turn, if you don't repent, if you don't return to God, then, well, A, B, or C is going to happen. Well, Babylon is going to come in. Well, Assyria is going to come in. Well, these terrible things will take place in your future. If you do not repent, if you do not turn back to God, there's this warning, warning after warning. But then, even though a lot of the prophets can be very hard to read because there's accusation of sin, there's this whole list of things that make God mad, there is also always hope. And the prophets, all throughout, there was always hope, restoration of God, there's always hope, forgiveness of sin, of sin. there's hope of Jesus, he's telling us over and over again that the Messiah is coming. And the prophets, even though they're difficult, if you continue through, you get to a place where God mentions that there's hope on the other side of this justice. God will restore the relationship and that he will stick with his people. So there's your little intro, how to read the prophets. So I want to take all that that we know and all that framework that we understand and we're going to apply it to one passage. So find your way um, to Isaiah chapter 1. 
which is the first prophet in the Bible, and he kind of serves as the archetype for all of the prophets. I really do think that if you can understand Isaiah, if you have a grasp on Isaiah, then the other 14 will make sense. You'll be able to handle it. Some of Ezekiel's stuff does get weird, but I think you can handle it a little better if you understand the prophet Isaiah. And so find your way to Isaiah 1. We're going to apply everything we know on to this chapter. We'll start off just reading the first nine verses. And we'll see what God is speaking through this prophet named Isaiah. So it starts off, most of the prophets give us a little heading, anchoring us in a time so that we can figure out what's happening in that day. Where it says in verse 1, The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah saw, that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. This is when it's taking place. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth. For the Lord has spoken. So Isaiah is saying, this is not my message. This is from God. Here's what God says to the people. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner, its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness. Only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Kind of saying, you guys, disgusting. Why are you doing this? Your country is desolate. Your cities burn with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you. Laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. Daughter Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a cucumber field. Which, if you've never been to a cucumber field, cucumber plants don't grow tall, so they're low, so a hut stands out. He's saying, hey, you're sitting ducks, you stand out, you're not safe. Like a hut in a cucumber field, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty had left some survivors, we would have become like Sodom, we would have been like Gomorrah. Okay, uh, is God in a good mood or a bad mood? <laughs> those, are, those are pretty hard words, right? Pretty hard words. Um, so, imagine this scenario. This is kind of how I imagine it happening. Seven in the morning on a Monday, you pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab your Bible, sit on the couch or your favorite chair in your living room, and you just pause, Bible open, coffee in hand, and you just take a deep breath. You ask the Holy Spirit to guide your heart and mind. You ask God um, to shape the rest of your day, to direct you to a life that's close to Him and following close to Him, and then you just ask God to speak. Would you speak through your word? You start reading. Ten seconds later, you read, Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. And you're probably now crying into your coffee and wondering, like, what on earth have I done? <laughs> Is this God's message to me? Like, what do I do with this? And then usually you probably just, like, skip to Ephesians and move on with your day and uh, not come back to this scary stuff. Um, because the reality is that many of us, when we approach God's word, when we are looking to be fed by God through his word, we don't always go to books like Isaiah or Jeremiah. Um, or whenever we do, maybe we don't feel all happy that being like, we can go take on our week because of the encouragement that we, we received. Okay? At least not all the time. I know that's the experience that many of you have had. Um, 
because one of the reasons that it's difficult to read the prophets, just to call out the elephant in the room, is because often, in it, God is mad. God is angry. At least, to me, it sounds like he's pretty mad, and you guys seem to affirm that. Um, and maybe for you, like, kind of it is, for me, is I often am worried that, you know, like, to get mad or to get this angry at someone is like, in our culture, it feels unloving, it feels wrong to ever get so mad at someone to say these things. And I'm tempted to say, like, you know, God, why are you so worked up? Like, do you need to, like, take a break? Are you hungry? Do you need to go for a walk? Um, but part of this is because, one, our culture is a very different place in the location of the Hebrew prophets. Um, while I'm uncomfortable with that, I'm a millennial born in the Pacific Northwest, and these are people living in the desert in a time of violent bloodshed and injustice. And so that's a big part of it. Um, but also, even if we explain that away, um, we do have to recognize that what the prophet is doing is he is letting us into like the inner emotional world of God. He is letting us into God's heart. This is what God thinks, feels, and hears. And one of the things that is revealed to us in the prophets is that God is emotional, that God feels. God feels deeply. And this is something that we have to remember is that God is not this idea. God is not just a doctrine in a systematic theology book. God is a person, not a human being, but he is a being, he is a relational being, and he has feelings, and he has feelings that we think are bad, and we think are negative, that we don't like feeling, and he has feelings that we think are great, right? But God feels. And one of the things that we see over and over in the prophets is that God feels angry, he feels sorrow. If you look back at verse two, he starts this whole message by saying, I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. So God is saying, hey, I raised these people one way. I rescued them out of Egypt. I gave them everything they needed to survive. I, I gave them the law. I gave them direction. And they rebelled against me. It's like the opposite of how I taught them and raised them. They're going. And some of you parents might know how painful the thing this is. And you pour everything in to a child. They go the other direction. God is saying, this is how I feel. Then in verse 3, it says, the ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger. Does anyone own a cow or a donkey in here? Susie, Dave, you guys don't have one? No, well, that's a, she's a pig. Just a pig? Okay. A pig and oh, raccoon. Oh. All right. I'm making a suggestion for a donkey right here. Um, but, okay, does anyone have a dog? A few of us have dogs. Okay, dogs are great. We have a dog. We, when we were looking for a dog, we knew that we had people over to our house all the time, and so we want a dog that loves people, that's very friendly, and that looks friendly. Um, and we got that for sure. <laughs> for those of you who have been to our house, you know that, yes, our dog, Willow, loves people. She's always excited when people come over, and she's not afraid of strangers. There's no such thing as a stranger to her. Um, she is not a guard dog at all. She loves everyone. And the picture that is talked about here with kind of the ox and the donkey is if you imagine, it's like, you know, I'm very happy that our dog loves people, and we can take her to the dog park, we can take her to the park, she loves everyone there. But imagine if she loves those people, and then I go to pet her, and she growls and snarls, snarls at me. And then as the other person walks around the dog park, she's going to follow them instead of me. And I'm sitting here thinking, I've given everything for you. I've pinned you down, I've brushed out all of your mats, I have bought special food with probiotics in it because your weak little stomach can't handle regular dog food. Like, I've done everything for you. And you follow up this other person, and you bite the hand that feeds you, 
That would make you upset, right? Well, that's the picture that God is giving here. Saying, hey, I'm the one who's done everything for you. And the, the ox doesn't even know its master. The ox bites the hand that feeds it. When God's people rebel against him, ignore his commands, worship other idols, seek after other things, this is how God feels. This is how God feels. These are intense emotions. This is one of the big things that I think the prophets reveal to us, but that the prophets help us to see, is that the prophets help us to see that we can be sensitive to God's heart, that we need to be sensitive to God's heart. So this is the, the first point that I have here, is that God is revealing to us his heart, and the prophets are letting us in to see what makes God angry. They encourage us to be sensitive to God's heart. This should cause us to want to ask that question, God, what does break your heart, God? What does make you angry? And I think we have to understand, you know, God's not temperamental, He's not overly emotional, he's not immature or selfish or anything like that. Um, he doesn't get in a funk for a day or two, um, like some of us, or for a decade, like others of us. Um, but as we look at Jesus, you know, one of the things that we see is that, you know, Jesus was not like emotionless, like Spock, that Jesus had emotions all throughout. Um, especially in the Gospel of John, Jesus goes around getting in some intense arguments with the religious leaders, <laughs> and he does not hold back on his righteous ang anger in those times. Um, he cries multiple times in the Gospels. He sobs over the death of his friend Lazarus. And in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is angry, and he rips language right out of Isaiah, where Jesus says, Woe to you! Woe to you! Woe to you! So this, I don't know what your picture of Jesus is, but this isn't like hipster Jesus who's giving out free hugs. This is Jesus with emotion. This is like, I imagine, like spit-flying, angry-eyed Jesus. He's not emotions. So that is what God is like. God feels. One of the roles of the prophet is to lead us to be sensitive to his heart. To lead us to be sensitive to his heart. And I know, um, depending on the circle of Christianity that you've kind of grown up in, I know one of like our big fears here, and that one of my big fears that I've always had, is... I don't ever want to be like over-emotional with God, especially in worship, because it can be a temptation for people all the time um, to just make approaching God all about our feelings, all about our emotions, and for worship to just be all about that, all about our feelings, all about our emotions. And we often are afraid of that, and we don't want to go in that direction. But I would just say, and maybe you could affirm this with me, um, when we think about Common Ground Church, being overly emotional is not our issue, right? <laughs> right? Like, I don't think we have to worry too much about that. Uh, but I think what we do have to recognize is we probably need our emotions woken up a little bit. We probably um, need to move a little away from just all cerebral, all thinking, into maybe reflecting God a little more in terms of God's emotions. Because if we recognize that it is a problem to be all emotional and no logic, no thought, well, then the flip side is true as well. It is also a problem to just be all thought and cold cows, no emotion. Um, and this isn't me saying, hey, I figured something out this week that I want you guys to change. Um, this is me reading scripture and realizing, like, oh, I'm really part of this problem <laughs> in the church. Because this is probably my natural tendency is I'm not that emotional of a person. I do tend to be more up here. But as you read the prophets, one of the things that you see is that God didn't his work like that. God called his prophets, God called his people to express those emotions to the world. And he calls us to be sensitive to his heart. So I think that's something that we see right here, is that maybe we need the Spirit to wake up our emotions a little bit. 
be okay expressing that so that we can understand God's heart. And when we do that, I think one of the natural consequences of that is that we should then search our heart as well. We know what grieves God's heart, and we should search our hearts. And so this is why I think we need the prophets. That even though reading them can be uncomfortable, and we're going to read all of these hard things over and over again, that's a good thing. Because the prophets cause us to take a step back, to take a hard look at our own lives, and to ask the question, is any of this stuff true about me? Is any of this stuff in my life? Where we go to God and we ask Him, God, is any of this stuff things that I've been doing? When we do that, you know, so I've kind of done that this week. I don't think I'm in open rebellion against God, but still there can be these sneaky little aspects of sin that work their way in here. And I think as we do that, you know, if you degrade just into guilt and shame and feeling bad about yourself, and that's not what God is leading us to in the prophets, but he's leading us to some self-examination, to searching our heart for these things that grieve him. That from time to time we need to ask are these same things that were true about the people then, true about us? And bringing that before God and saying, God, would you rid me of that? Would you rid me of that? Search our heart. So those are kind of the, the accusation, the warning aspect. But one of the things that we have to recognize is that the prophets were not all that. They were not all accusations. They were not all warning. It's not all judgment, but they always counter that with hope, with encouragement. They promise that on the other side of judgment... There's restoration. The prophets are usually like bad news first kind of people, though. I don't know if you're into that. I think I like the good news first. I don't think about bad news. But in the prophets, it's usually bad news first. And so then in Isaiah, verse 24, hopefully you still have it open. After those hard words, we see here that God's judgment, God's punishment, it was never just in order to express his emotions, but it was to fix something. It was to cause them to turn back. And so there's hope told to them in Isaiah chapter 1, and verse 24. In light of all those accusations and warnings, therefore the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the mighty one of Israel declares that I will vent my wrath on my foes and avenge myself on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. I will restore your leaders as in days of old, your rulers as at the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. So God is making it clear. His warning, his judgment, his punishment, it's in order to fix something. It's for a reason. Uh, you might have to ask a metallurgist like Ben what it means for purging away your dross. Um, but essentially what God is saying is that this process is good. This is purifying you, strengthening you. It's hot and it's intense. Good. It refines. And this is one of the things that the prophets tell us. Is that God's judgment, God's punishment, God's discipline is good. It's a good thing. And we're invited to see those hardships as being for our good. Now, I know that we don't typically view maybe the, the discipline or the punishment of God in that way. I don't know the last time I asked someone how they're doing. And they said, well, you know, God's really disciplining me right now. I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk like that. But, as we read through the prophets, you see over and over again, that is something that God is doing. Um, because God is more interested in our long-term joy, in our long-term formation to look like Jesus, than our current comfort and our current happiness. When you look through Jesus' life, you see that he was formed through some pretty intense things. 
um, to say it mildly. And so full transparency, I would say that right now I'm in a bit of a season where I could probably say I think I'm being disciplined by God. Um, because really I'm in a season where I don't feel like I am myself. I haven't really felt like I'm being the person that God has called me to be. And I've had a few conflicts recently that I'm usually pretty good and pretty calm in where I'm able to kind of step back, see the big picture, and think like, you know, okay, God, I see what you're doing, I see what's going on. And usually I'm able to have thoughts towards the other person of like restoration and forgiveness. Um, but I'm in this season right now where it's like, I see this person and I just see red. Um, and it's like, I'm not thinking about restoration and forgiveness. I'm thinking instead, how can I broadcast everything that they're doing wrong? <laughs> how can I make it clear that I'm being wrong? This isn't who God's called me to be. I hate that. And it's been really difficult then to read through the prophets to see accusation after accusation about this sort of thing. And for me, it's been really convincing in this season. But then, as you continue reading, see sections in the prophets that I've had to just go back over time and time again. And God will say things like, Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. For another line, that repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength. And at a turning point in the book of Isaiah, after 39 chapters, God really telling them what they're doing wrong, changes tone and he says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. So even though the prophets can be so tough and there's so much accusation, there's so much warning, it's really sprinkled with hope. You go through it, and it's like there's, there's a drop here, there's a drop there, there's a line here, and there's a line there, and they feel like they're few and far between. But every time you get to them, you have to go back to that over and over again. You have to read the accusations, the warnings, in light of this, knowing that all of the hard stuff that's been said is for this for this purpose. So I don't know where you're at right now. Um, if you feel like you're at the place in your spiritual formation where you are fully living into the person that God has made you to be, that's my prayer. I praise God for that. Um, but maybe some of you are in a season like me where you do need the prophet to kind of speak the hard word to you, where you need the spirit to kind of break through maybe some apathy, maybe a trajectory of decline, because that's what the prophet was doing. When the people were in this trajectory of decline, the prophet was waking them up. This is the direction you headed. This is what's going to happen. You turn to me. Back to me. The prophet is pushing and pulling us back into the arms of God, back onto the narrow way where we can receive those messages. Repentance and rest is your salvation. Trust in the name of the Lord. This is word the prophet does for us. So wherever you're at, if you feel like you have you know, a good trajectory or maybe you may have been going in another direction, the reality is that all of us need this message. We all need this pattern of the prophet. We all need this encouragement and this hope today. And the interesting thing um, with the Old Testament prophets is, you know, I would probably say that I don't think we have prophets in the same way. We don't have the capital prophets who were able to say, God says, and then we write it down, and we view it as scripture. 
Um, but now, in the New Testament, we have the gift of prophecy. Um, that instead of the prophet coming to test the church, now God's Spirit has been given to the church, and the church is the ones testing the prophets, seeing if this truly is what God is saying. So the gift of prophecy has been given to the church, and we are able to play a similar role where we can have our ear turned towards God, where we can have our heart sensitive to God, and we can speak on his behalf what he's thinking, what he's feeling, what he is hoping, what he is doing. Um, some of us have this as a specific gift, um, this uncanny divine ability to hear from God and to speak that truth to others. Hear from God and to pass on his heart to live a life that preaches the message of what God thinks, feels, and does. And some of you I know in this room do have this gift. Some of you know it. Some of you probably have it but don't know it. Um, or you just don't give God credit for it. Um, but hopefully, you'll discover it soon. Hopefully, you'll continue to lean into it. Um, because even if God is speaking to us, one of the things that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is that even a church like, like the Corinthian church, which was just gifted as all get out, it's still this gift of prophecy had to be refined, had to be contained, had to be trained, had to actually align with Scripture. And Paul kind of said, well, okay, you guys are very gifted, but... We have some things to work on. And so you're familiar with chapter 13, which is the famous love chapter that we often go to. Um, but what Paul is saying in this chapter, kind of the overall context, is it's right in the middle of him talking about spiritual gifts. One of the big ones he's talking about is prophecy. It's speaking what God is hoping, feeling, thinking on behalf of him to others. And Paul is saying, you can't do this without love. Most likely people were being kind of rude with it. We're kind of speculating. But listen to him here. He says, if I speak in tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, like you know everything, I'm seeking your feeling, Paul is saying. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. What Paul is saying is, hey, that's cool. You've heard a message from God. But without love, only a clanging cymbal. It's nothing. So the instruction is make sure, just like the prophets are doing, that it is in line with God's heart. That maybe God is going to speak to us a word of accusation, a word of warning. Are we also people who speak the word of hope as well? Are we people who can see the big picture? Are we able to see that? Not something that, frankly, um, we need. Something that still needed a gift that was given to build up, to encourage the church today. Something that we desperately need. And there are always attempts um, to shut down the voice of the prophet. In the Old Testament, there definitely was. Isaiah was sawed in half by a wicked king who didn't like his warnings. Um, but even in the New Testament, there were attempts to shut down the gift of prophecy just about everywhere. And so Paul had to tell the church in Thessalonica to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He said, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from evil. So how does what Paul is saying? He said, I want to test this idea that someone can hear and speak for God. He made sure to stick it right smack dab in a list of a bunch of other things that you probably shouldn't argue about. Um, because in order to get rid of that, well, you should probably get rid of praying in all circumstances as well. Don't think we would do that. Because we need
need the prophet. We need the voice of God to break through, apathy to break through, a downward line that we would, as God's people, declare God's message to the world, that we would, as God's people, be able to share it with others as thinking, feeling, hoping, feeling. That we would do that through speech. But also, I think one of the patterns of the prophets is that we're not just called to say it, but we're called to live it. Maybe you're not going to do the crazy things that the Old Testament prophets were called to do to communicate the message. But maybe you will. <laughs> I, won't, I won't quench that if the Spirit has told you to do that. But I think we're called to live in a way that begs the question. In a way that preaches God's message through actions. Just as Hosea did, just as Ezekiel had to act these things out. I think we're to live our lives in ways that communicate God's heart as well. When people look at us, they should wonder, what does this lifestyle mean? What does this lifestyle say? What does their generosity to others show? Hopefully, it shows that God has been generous to us. He generously gave us His Son. We forgive others. For others to ask, well, what does this action mean? What does their forgiveness mean? Our hope is that they would see that God has forgiven us. What is our patience declare to the world? Think that God is patient with us. When we are slow to anger, not hot-tempered, not just seeing in red, hopefully that is able to show that we follow and worship a God who is slow to anger. He's not easily provoked. I think we are called, as God's people, to have an ear tuned to Him, sensitive to His heart, be listening for what it is that He's saying, to be people who share that with others. Share that in word, but also share that in action. Some of that can be kind of obscure and people don't always get it, just like in the days of the prophet. Uh, but sometimes it can be very clear. It's like Ezekiel, um, when they were about to be invaded, he built like a little model of the town, and then he took little army men and then just went <laughs> and snatched it. And the people had it very clear that, oh, we're going to be invaded and destroyed. Um, and sometimes I think when we follow Jesus, it can be like that. But nonetheless, we're called sometimes do these things, to live these ways, whether people see clearly or not, in order to reveal who God is, in order to reveal who God is. Hopefully, we're able to do that through a word. And I know that God is speaking to some of you about things you can do, actions, dramatic life changes, dramatic movements that he's calling you to. He's calling you to do that in order to preach this message through the world. So we are called preach this message, and to become the message, to live it out. So as you read through a section of the Bible that can be hard to listen to, hard to read, prayer is that we would be sensitive to God's heart, that we would search our own hearts for conviction, that we would have on the forefront of our mind in all of this hope for Jesus, that we would be a people who would preach this hope through our word, we would become the message, live this hope that others can see. Let's pray to consider these things. Father God, we just thank you for making your home amongst us, showing us on how it's done. We just thank you for Jesus, for his example, for the teachings that he gave us, for the life that he lived, and that we would see how it is you're calling us who you are. And we just recognize that we're people who don't live up to that, but we thank you for being the God who 
isn't abandoning us for that anymore. You are the God who forgives, forgives. So would you just make us a people who are quick to repent, quick to come to you, and to receive that help? Because we just thank you for being the God who tells us over and over that we can cry out to you. Tells us over and over that we can return to you. And so I just pray um, for everyone in the room right now. God, as, as we've read some of these accusations, some of these warnings, I just pray against the spirit that would lead people to, to just self-deprecation and just feeling bad for ourselves. But would you lead us into a healthy place of conviction that we would see your standard as just revealing who you are. It's not about how good or bad we are, but we are people who want to just worship. So now as we turn to you in worship, would you be front and center in our hearts and minds? That we would just praise who you are and your goodness your forgiveness of us and the hope that we have in you. So Jesus, we just turn to you in worship. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
prophets. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, maybe a short little one you can read like Zechariah. He's quoted a lot by Jesus, so it must be good. Um, so do that this week, and would you go now with the words of Jeremiah chapter 9. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and he knows that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. So thank you for worshiping with us today. Go in peace.